big beat manifesto goes, big beats are the best, get high all the time. Right. At the time, it felt like a much more all-encompassing philosophy. This is outrageous. This is contagious. Listen, love, just a little tip, all right? You're on the edge now, and you need to pick the right way. Because one way's heaven, and the other... Well, probably best not to think about that right now, but it's fucking horrible, yeah? Hey, everyone. Welcome to the L Dude Brothers podcast, episode 16, Sectioning. My name is Sean, and I'm very particular about the kind of podcast I host. It has to make a strong political statement. And my name's Laura, and I've already told you, Sean, I'm not going to do a podcast called Free the Pedos. <laughs> well, how about we just do the L Dude Brothers podcast instead? Okay, I'm up for that. All right. So, how have you, how have you been? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, obviously, uh, as people may know from the Twitter, this is the second time we're recording this. So... I'm fine. I'm okay. Um, I've not been very well this week, but other than that, I'm fine. The weather's cheered up here in England, so that's good. Yeah, that's good. Um, you went from, I believe, if I recall correctly, you've gone from extreme heat to insane amounts of rain. Is that correct? Yes, it's been absolutely pissing down here for days and days and days. We had some rain this morning, but it's it's pleasant now. Well, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of what else we talked about the last time we talked. Uh my vacation i'm not sure i can't remember like if anything this should be better because it's the second time we're recording it because that was like a practice run but i can't remember what we talked about we did talk about your holiday okay yeah so we'll we'll talk about that again yeah oh okay right mm-hmm. right yeah so if you know if you know any british people that are looking for jobs in america um wizarding world of harry potter is is hiring like every british person imaginable because almost all the staff there was british or they talked with really good british accents I was going to say, do you think they really were British, or do you think it was just an accent that's really easy to emulate? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm hoping that they were actually British, because the accents were really damn good. <laughs> yeah. Well, if, I've, if, I, if anyone ever says they want a, a, a holiday job, a summer job, then I'll point them in that direction. Yeah, you, you definitely should. Uh, I, met, oh. I met quite a few British people. I met a gentleman at Enterprise Rental Car, who was from Essex, and he told me it was shit. Oh, whereabouts in Essex was he from? I fucking couldn't tell you. He just said Essex. <laughs> He's probably not too far away from me then. Yeah, it was. It, it is a bit shit. It has got some shit bits. Yeah, I was trying to. I was trying to figure out a casual way to like slip in that I record a podcast about Peep Show. <laughs> There's not really a casual way to do that, is there? Slip no. in a business card. No, no. Yeah, if I had a if I had a business card, I'd been like, hey. Have they not showed up? No, I I don't think they have. I. I honestly don't check my mail very often. That's usually my wife's. Oh, okay. Domain. I posted them like two weeks ago. So even even with the Royal Mail's dire service, I think they should have turned up soon. <laughs> I'm sure they did. So I saw on Facebook that you finished Leftovers. I did. Yeah, we finished it last night. We've done. We did the whole series in 19 days, which is pretty good going. Um, it was amazing. The end was so good, and I'm really glad I watched it. Um, we were just by the end, like by it got by the time we got to the end of season two, we were just like, how can we watch this faster? You know, when you're just so keen to like keep absorbing it. And um, the last season is only eight episodes, so we managed to tear through it in like three nights, and it was just it was just amazing. Best thing I've watched since Six Feet Under, I would say. Oh, I guess I'm just gonna have to knuckle down and watch it. I started to watch it; it didn't really grab me, so. 
I guess I'm. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? It's weird. It's so subjective because I said to my mum, and we normally like the same things. And I said to my mum, "Oh, you must watch this. It's amazing." And the main guy in it's really fit as well, so that's like a you know a, a good reason in itself to watch it. And she's watched the first sort of five episodes and doesn't like it at all. So I guess it just depends what you're into, or if it if the story grabs you or resonates with you. I thought the story was cool. Um, there's a, I, the podcast network that I listen to that talks about TV shows constantly talks about how awesome, um, leftovers is. And I just, yeah, I just haven't gotten around to watching it. I do think that season, season two was actually stronger than season one, which is, is weird that that would be the case, but it's hard to say it's, it seems like it does seem a bit counterintuitive to say, okay, you've got to go through, you've got to battle through this whole first season then in order to get to the good stuff. Because I can see that the first series is is not as good as the second. So, but I would say it's worth watching. I thought it was brilliant. I think, I think when we talked about leftovers during our ill-fated mugging recording, season one was not really all that hot, but then season two is where it really catches fire. Yeah, I mean, I know season season one was based on a novel. And I think once it was free of the constraints of the the novel that it was based on because season two wasn't it was like a whole different story maybe it was just that the capacity for televisual storytelling became greater once it wasn't based on the book anymore and maybe that was the case but it's only 28 episodes so i would say in the grand scheme of american tv shows which can go on and on for you know you can have that many episodes in a series sometimes can't you for the whole three series only being 28 episodes it's worth your time yeah i'll definitely check that out Yes, American TV shows do sometimes have those seasons. It's more common with 30-minute sitcoms than it is hour-long shows. Yeah, yeah. But there is a great podcast as well about The Leftovers that I've been listening to uh, called, it is called The Living Reminders, The Leftovers podcast, and that's that's really great. So if you do watch it and you want some insight, um, they're worth listening to because they've got some really good, they've pointed out some things. Oh, there you go. Look, it started playing on my phone. Go away. It's um, it's pointed out some some things that I I missed while I was watching it. That's interesting because there's a Westworld podcast that I was trying to incorporate when I was doing my initial watch of Westworld, but I found that listening to a podcast between episodes was just jarring. Yeah, I haven't been listening to it religiously. I've been listening to them more if there was an episode that I was unclear on or that I thought was more um, yeah I've been listening to them more if it was like an episode that I was unclear on or if I thought there was probably some massive visual metaphor that I missed or something <laughs> like that so I agree with you that it's probably to, to do it like that to watch an episode then listen to a podcast is, is jarring because it takes you out of the flow of the show mm-hmm. but they're good they're good to have on standby and I've really enjoyed the AV clubs um articles on them as well because they've been giving me a lot of insight and they're easier it's easier to do that between episodes than listen to a whole podcast yeah i agree av AV club is great the other day i just was sitting on the couch and with my wife and i was like hey i'm gonna just start watching westworld again and i it's not typically the kind of show that i think she would like or i thought Mm. that she would like um and she was kind of only paying half attention to the first episode but by the second episode, it was phoned down, fully engaged with the television. And then when we were done with that, she was like, okay, I want to keep watching this. So, Not really. Yeah, it's definitely on my list of things to watch. I think 
I feel like I need a morning period for the leftovers now. Like I feel like <laughs> I need I need a few days to like just watch one off things and like films rather than you know what I mean? Like when you become mm. completely immersed in in a in a set of characters and in their universe, it's like, oh actually it would feel disrespectful to just jump straight back in with something else. How was the first episode of People Just Do Nothing? Oh, it was excellent. It was really, really good. Did you get as far as the end of season three? Yes, I did. You did, yeah. So, yeah, it's 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 really good. I was upset that there was only they're putting it up on iPlayer weekly. So, it's you've got to wait a whole week. Like in the old days, you've got to wait a whole week for the next episode. I was hoping they'd all be up because I wanted to watch them all. But it was a really good opener. It was a really good opening episode. So, definitely worth watching. That's good. I, I just feel like if you're going to put stuff up on iPlayer... Because are there advertisements during the show? No, no, because we paid for a license fee, so we have no efforts. So if there's no, ad, uh, if there's no advertisements, I I guess it just doesn't make any sense to me why you don't just do the Netflix model of just throwing everything up at once. Yeah, I agree with you. Loads of things they do do that now, um, but people just do nothing. They haven't. They they're releasing it weekly, so I don't know why. But it was a bit disappointing because I was ready for a full on people just do nothing binge and there was only half an hour of it to watch so that's that's why hulu drives me nuts because i really enjoyed hand i really enjoyed handmaiden's tale yes yeah that was really good and then but after like six episodes i think i i missed a week and then i fell behind and then i just never finished it but if i had the option to binge it i would have binged the whole thing yeah yeah sometimes i think that maybe that is a trick that some broadcasters are missing because i think now often people do want to binge things they don't want to wait weekly and you should give them the option and often what they do on the bbc now often what happens is they put them all on iplayer at once and then they put them on the television week by week so if you're more say my parents would never watch something all in one go like that they would prefer to watch it on the television week by week but i think give people the option because then you can do it however you want yeah, I agree with you 100. percent Yeah. Also, the trailer for Back that you shared you shared with me looks. Oh yeah, it looks phenomenal. great, doesn't it? Yeah, yes. I'm really excited about it. Really excited, and I'm really loving David Mitchell's beard. I think he looks really good with a beard. It's funny because I was really on the fence about Back when I first heard about it. I was just like, oh god, I don't know if I want to. You know, Peep Show was great. Like, I don't know if I want another comedy featuring these two. But after watching the trailer, I have a lot of faith. Yeah, me too. It looks it looks good. I think I've got faith in terms of it wasn't like the trailer was packed full of jokes. So I didn't feel like, oh, they've shown us all the funny bits. I think the story sounds like it could be a goer. And I, I just love I love the, the premise of it. I think it's going to be funny. I was laughing so hard. The scene where Robert Webb was talking to, I'm guessing, his adopted mother and she's just like, oh, call me mummy like you used to. And he's just like, okay, mummy. <laughs> yeah, that made me laugh. And then on the bunk beds really amused me as well. Oh, God, that looked that looked funny. Yeah, so I'm really, I think that I think that you and I have both kind of talked about it. Um, on this podcast, we will probably be doing some back coverage. Yeah, we need to do something back-based, I think. I think it would be wrong not to. So I'm keeping my eye out for when it's going to be on because I thought, I didn't think it would be on until nearer Christmas, but as they've released that trailer and it said the autumn, I think it could be fairly soon. So let's have a look. Let's see. I'll, I'm keeping my eyes open. Yeah, and we'll definitely keep everyone kind of posted Informed. on 
yeah, we'll keep everybody informed on how we're going to be handling back when it airs. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, is there any other TV shows or anything else that you've been watching that you want to talk about? No, I don't think so. I've been completely, my life has been completely absorbed by Justin Theroux and him with his top off basically in the leftovers. So that's all we've been doing <laughs> aside from watching people just do nothing. Uh, so no, I haven't actually been watching anything else this week. Okay. All right. Well, let's go ahead and jump into one of my favorite episodes of Peep Show, Sectioning, which aired on 18 November 2005. Yep. So this episode opens up with Mark and Sophie at a coffee shop slash bookstore. I feel like this is a very, very iconic scene in, in the entire series with Mark and Sophie sitting here. This is a scene that is very strongly ingrained in my head. Yeah, this was, I think, the beginning of us as the audience thinking of them as a real couple. Yes, agreed. Did you happen to catch the date of the newspaper that Mark was reading? Um, I saw that it was October, and I know this this aired um, in November, so I'm guessing it was 2005. It was. The date of the newspaper was 23 October 2005, so they were filming this scene a mere, like, 26 days before it aired, which is pretty impressive to me that they were able to film, edit, and, you know, do everything that goes with Yeah, maybe... um... Maybe they did that for authenticity. Maybe they filmed that bit last so that we could, you know, think it was contemporary. And that would actually fit with the marquee from the movie theater they were at. Because a lot of those movies that were on the movie theater last week were also released in September, October of 2000. Oh, yeah, they were, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so, yeah, maybe they were... um, yeah, maybe they were either working very close to the wind or keeping those details fresh that they film mm-hmm. later on. Uh, Mark is just reading the Sunday Times, which seems like a very boring newspaper. Is it like predominantly like a business newspaper? No, it's one of the sort of main um, broadsheets, but it would be associated with a much older man. I would say that the Times is the newspaper that the that the pensioners and the old oldsters read. Um, so it fits Mark. It does. It fits him perfectly. Um, yeah. He he talks about eating uh eating a was it roast beef sandwich and listen or in take the culture and eat a roast beef sandwich. Yeah, he's gonna have roast beef, which is a very English Sunday thing to do. Um, and he's obviously very proud of himself that he's got this girlfriend and he's reading the Times and he's gonna have roast beef and just generally is being a real person. I now. know he's got this great line where he's like, "Look at me, I've got a girlfriend, a proper girlfriend reading a bestseller about child abuse. <laughs> I go out and have croissants. <laughs> I'm just a normal functioning member of the human race, and there's no one that can prove otherwise." Which <laughs> they look functional, don't they? For the first time, maybe the last time as well. They do look like a functioning adult couple, I would they say. They do, they do. And I think that last time we talked about A Child Called It, and you said that you had read that book, correct? I have, and it is absolutely harrowing. He's, Sophie's not wrong to be upset by that book. As as we're going through this scene, Sophie's in the background just reading A Child Called It. As the scene is going on, Sophie is just kind of like letting out these horrified moans, and Marcus is like, <laughs> oh, is this another bad bit? And she just looks at him like she's about to cry and she just shakes her head like, yes, this is horrible. The whole book is a bad bit. So she was probably crying throughout that whole book, I think. I, I read a synopsis of the book and it doesn't shock me because it sounds like an excellent book, but just about such a grim subject matter. It was the first of those kind of misery memoirs that, that became a massive thing at this sort of time and for about 10 years afterwards where 
anyone who'd had any inkling of abuse or any brush with the Catholic Church or anything seemingly child abuse was was writing a book about it. Yes, I do remember there there was a period of time where every book was like that and then This was the first though, this was the original. <laughs> uh this one started a revolution. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, it's weird because for some reason I remember my high school girlfriend like I have this vivid memory of my high school girlfriend reading this book, but when this book came out, I was already out of high school, so I don't know where this false memory is coming from. Oh, that's weird. Maybe she was reading a book like it or a book that was upsetting her, and, yeah, you've just implanted that memory. I don't know. It's weird. Memories are a weird fucking thing, I'll tell you what. Yeah, they are. They are. Um, and then, pretty much, that's this scene is really just kind of quick, brief. We see Mark and Sophie having a somewhat functional relationship. Yeah, I think it's to establish them as a functioning couple. Yeah. So now we meet Mary for the first time. We're in a house that we don't know with Hans and Jeremy doing things that we don't really understand. Yeah, um, and Hans uh, is the first to speak in this scene, I think, and he says that Mary is a rich bitch, uh, to which Jeremy takes offense, and he's very defensive of Mary, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, Super Hans is just like, Where'd you meet this rich bitch, eh? And Jeremy's just like, she is not a bitch. She's Mary from Canada, and we met her in uni. Yeah, she's a very good friend of his and Mark's. Which, not that I'm trying to hold continuity super tight in Peep Show or anything, but how come we've never heard about Mary before? That just doesn't make yeah, any sense and, to me. And how come that she sort of is in such close proximity to them? Because they didn't go to university in London, and... It's a big place, and it seems like a massive coincidence that she would be... She seems to be living quite, quite quite locally to them. So you're right, she's never been mentioned before, and she lives locally, or her mum lives locally, and it's never come up previously, so that is a bit weird. <laughs> Jesus, I didn't even think about it from that perspective. I think it's just when you know how big London is, and I went to university in London, and none of my university friends lived near me, but none of us lived near each other. So it just seems like a big coincidence that they went to university hundreds of miles away, and they just happen to be so close to each other in Croydon. Wow. Jesus, what a plot hole. Yeah, that's probably just me being picky, though, because it probably doesn't, if you're not familiar, if you, if, A, if you aren't familiar with London, and B, if you didn't go to university in, in London or have a university experience, it's just that it's so sprawling, do you know what I mean? But, but that's probably me just knowing too much about the geography of it. No, I mean, it... I looked up the population of London. I don't even... We were doing a podcast about something, and I looked up the population of London. I think I was comparing it to Kansas City or something like that, and... Yeah, it's like 8 million. There's a lot of us. Yeah, I I couldn't believe how big London was. It was... My mind was... You know? Yeah. There's, it's just... It just wouldn't... I understand why for the story. She has to be close by it, but it's so unlikely. Yeah. It's more like it would be an hour and a half. Like my closest university friend to me is an hour's train drive away from from here. It's just not. It just wouldn't happen. Yeah, one thing that really cracks me up in this scene is Superhands has this like laptop in his hand, and he just like chucks it across the room, and Jeremy's just like Superhands. <laughs> and then yeah, and he says, uh, "What's the problem? It's not made of cobwebs and magic or something. Just his computer." It's a metal box, Jez. They're indestructible. And this computer is absolutely decimated. The keyboard's hanging off. 
there's no longer a laptop yeah i think the screen i think the screen hinge is broken the keyboard comes yeah, off in his yeah. hand yeah just everything is fucked it's pretty it's to- totally mullered there's no way that she's going to be using that computer again yeah at this point mary comes into the room for the first time she's played by meredith mcneil um, Meredith McNeil is an actress and she's known for frequently asked questions about time travel, Baroness Von sketch show and confetti. And if I recall correctly, you said confetti is, uh, Armstrong and Bane. I don't know if it's Armstrong and Bane, but it is a very, it's a very similar kind of situation to magician. So it's loads of British comedy actors, quite a few peep show actors, um, Robert Webb and Olivia Coleman are actually one of the couples who are getting married. It's about three weddings and they play nudists who are getting married and they have a naked wedding. Um, <laughs> and, she, and Meredith McNeil is one of the other brides and she has a tennis themed wedding because her and her husband, who is Stephen Mangan, are professional tennis tennis players. And it's, it, it was not a good film. It is not, it was really not, but it's quite, it was on telly actually a few weeks ago. And I'd been out to dinner with my friend Jenna and I was a bit drunk and it was on and it's the perfect sort of film you want to watch when you're a bit pissed and it's 11 o'clock at night and it requires no thinking whatsoever, but it was not a box office smash. <laughs> All right. Uh, we may, we might have to tuck that one away in the bonus episode. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. when we get really desperate for something to talk about but um, yeah it's alright but she Meredith McNeil in Confetti plays exactly the same part she plays here like a kooky slightly mental Canadian <laughs> oh so is she Canadian in Confetti as well is she not Canadian in real life I, I actually don't know uh, yeah she's definitely she's some sort of she might be American really She's some sort of. I'm not. I'm not good enough to be able to tell the accent. But if she says she's Canadian in Peep Show, I believe she's Canadian. Oh. Then she's certainly doing a North American accent in Confetti. Uh, according to Wikipedia, she is a Canadian actress. She is from Nova Scotia. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, she's she's. I think it does come up that she's Canadian in Confetti. Okay. Um, it does come out in Peep Show that she is Canadian because Jeremy calls her Canadian Mary. Yeah, that is how she's identified clearly amongst their friendship group and then jeremy is just thinking to himself you know i wonder if mary thinks i'm going nowhere with my music and that's why i'm doing removal uh franz ferdinand did removals they'll i'll tell her they got their own van (laughs) (laughs) yeah um and i was intrigued to know if franz ferdinand were a thing over there if you were familiar with them uh franz ferdinand had their time over here uh yeah uh, take me out was really popular song over here yeah, they only had they only had their time here as well. It's not like they've not stood the test of time. I mean, they probably are still recording, but I don't know about it. <laughs> Do you know All what right. I mean? So, What's... but they were there was probably a similar similar thing over there. They've had one big album. Okay, so this is a game that my wife and I like to play. Okay, mm-hmm. what year did the most recent Franz Ferdinand album come out? Oh, um, two thousand twelve. Two thousand thirteen. Ah, pretty close. Yeah, this is whenever my wife and I start talking about a band in this with that kind of context, we go, all right. And then one of us will just pick a date and we'll see who gets the closest to actually. Yeah. I knew I hadn't heard about them recently. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Uh, They the way that I was introduced to them is there was a anime show that I watched where the song Lucky was one of the theme songs of the show. 
oh okay really they were really big about the time that I was a fresher at university and it was them and the Kaiser Chiefs and I always get them a bit mixed up like I think their, their sound is quite similar and if I hear those songs I think oh that could be the Kaiser Chiefs that could be Franz Ferdinand sort of thing the only Kaiser Chiefs song I've, I think I've ever heard is Ruby yeah that was their big that was their like I think that was probably what made them if they were big in America that was probably what made them big in America but that was actually about five years after they were really popular here <laughs> <laughs> that was whenever I think of Ruby I think if I had an ex-boyfriend who had it on Guitar Hero he was learning that's, it on Guitar Hero that's, where I, that's and, when I heard it was fucking Guitar Hero <laughs> oh yeah yeah and it was and he, he took a while to master it so I heard the first the opening chords of Ruby a lot that's right yeah we we shared a very small flat and (laughs) i was teacher training and i just wanted to sleep and he was doing that on guitar hero the whole time oh and then you got to hear the clicking of the guitar click click yes yeah please please put headphones on oh no the clicking is just as bad (laughs) i was living with my folks when i had guitar hero and my mom is a really light sleeper and I think I was playing Guitar Hero at like one in the morning or something like that. And my mom was like, what are you doing up there? And I was just like, I'm sorry, I'm trying to be quiet. And so I just had to stop. Yeah, it's, it was not a video game that lent itself to quietness, certainly. <laughs> no, it did not. No, 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 no. Um, in the scene, we find out that Mary's mother is dead. And that's why Mary is back in London and Mary does not really look that upset about her mom dying because she says, you know, after all, she wasn't there for me when I took my ballet exam. She wasn't there for me then, so I'm not here for her now, so fuck her. <laughs> yeah, and Jeremy says that he thinks that's a good attitude to have and then sort of follows it up with, probably, he's obviously not convinced. No. Right after this, Mary just looks straight at Jeremy and she just says, you know, I'm looking for a couple of hip young gunslingers to run the pub downstairs. And Superhands just kind of like, I don't know, almost pushes Jeremy out of the way. And he's like, I used to run a pub. <laughs> yeah, this is the first we've ever heard of it. This has not come up previously that Hans was a was a landlord of a pub. Yeah. What kind of pub do you think Hans runs or ran? Oh, I sort of imagined it to be a kind of um, like a goth pub. Like in the town where I grew up, there was a... Um, like a grunge pub we used to go in when we were about 16 and it had black walls and it always had really sort of metally bands on and the landlord was a lunatic he was always off his face so i kind of imagine it to be like that what kind of lager do you think he served or do you think he served any sort of lager <laughs> no i imagine it was all kind of uh ales real ales that sort of thing do you think it was snake infested <laughs> yeah there probably were some snakes although maybe the customers didn't know about it until they got you know if there was one in their handbag or something <laughs> well as long as uh red next red next to yellow then it's a cuddly fella <laughs> yeah exactly i also imagine they're being absent in this pub oh in my head oh. they're all drinking absinthe. yes i can definitely see that they probably had a yeah. bar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> different flavors different yeah different flavors of crack <laughs> yeah definitely that would be the pub hands ramp yeah jeremy is jeremy has never thought about running a pub before but then he realizes it's something he wants to do more than anything he's ever done in this world before yeah much like everything else with jeremy this is suddenly his like most dearly held ambition right and then hands just says you know he looks at jeremy kind of warningly and he's just like you know i'm very particular about the kind of st- 
establishment I run, it needs to make a strong political statement. Yeah. And Jeremy's just like, <laughs> yeah. does it? Does it though? And you can already tell that Jeremy, much like when he asked Hands to move in with him back in season one, you can already tell that Jeremy is maybe kind of regretting that Hands is in this room with him when this idea was was brought up. Yeah, I think Jeremy does love Hands, but he's he knows that he's a bit mental, doesn't he? And so when it comes to anything proper, so living together, running a pub together he knows that Hans is, is not the best guy to have on board. Everyone's got that mate. Yeah, 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 we do. <laughs> um, so next scene we have Mark and Sophie at the carnival and they are on a tilt-a-whirl or what did you call it, a waltzer? A waltzer, yeah, that is a waltzer. I, just like Mark, I really, really fucking hate tilt-a-whirls because there's no point other than to just to make you violently ill. Yeah, I went on one as a child that really put me off. Um, it was with my auntie. It was a really horrible carnival that was like near her flat and it was it was the kind of carnival where you think oh have they put the bolts in tight enough on these rides like am I gonna die and we were the only ones on it and I was I think I was screaming like please make them stop please make them stop but the carny that was running it obviously thought I was saying like yeah, this is brilliant. Make it go more. And he was saying like, it's all right. You can have an extra long ride. And I got off and was violently sick. <laughs> I, I guess you probably don't get local American news, but actually about, man, two weeks, three weeks ago, sometime in the last two or three weeks at a carnival, I believe it was in Ohio, the the carnival ride came apart and killed four people. Oh, no, we did hear about that because we've got some of the same rides over here and they've been closed down because our local sort of seaside is South End and there was one there and it had been shut down pending tests. Oh, well, that's good. That's good that they shut it down yeah. pending tests. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, the, the news has travelled this far, so yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, I didn't know if four people getting killed at a carnival ride had penetrated the european market like it did over yeah there. it was some sort of like chloride wasn't it it involved it involved like whipping it went up on its side and it whipped round. Yeah, yeah i mean it didn't look it didn't look safe anyway you no. know god no previous that, no so i wasn't really surprised that someone had died on it but yeah they've all been shut down here there was i think there were about 10 locations in this country where they, they were there and they've closed them down well, that's good. Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, while Mark is riding on the Walter, we get another classic Mark line. I suppose doing things you hate is just the price you pay to avoid loneliness. <laughs> I think we've all been there. I think we all identified with that. Yeah. <laughs> and as he gets off the ride, um, he doesn't look very well, does he? He looks no, a bit green. He looks green. And Sophie, yeah, Sophie gets a text message, um, which you said in your notes is another sign of how old this show is because you know who gets texts like that anymore but she gets text and says it's from uh barbara the racist who was discussed in season one uh and she had encouraged sophie to apply for a job that she didn't think she would get but it turns out that she's got the job and she's gonna have to move to bristol and as soon as she delivers this news to mark mark just yaks all over the place <laughs> yeah he throws up a lot and she apologizes and says Oh, like, are you okay? And he says, oh, no, no, it was just it was just the ride. I just don't feel well. I'm very happy for you, but he doesn't sound very convinced. One other little joke that I like in this scene is Mark is just like, and, and also another another thing that just kind of shows how old this is, is 
Mark is just like, oh, are they spamming you about upgrading to 3G? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> 3G is, I'm very upset if I'm on 3G now. Yeah. Uh, if I'm not 4G or LTE, I'm just like, why does this even exist? And I just want to smash my phone into Yeah, I think I'm, I'm, I must be deep in the countryside is what I think if I'm if I'm on 3G now. So it's, but this was the height of of internet, mobile internet communication back then. At one point during our vacation last week, I was on roaming and I was just like, what the hell is this? Yeah, my, my, my parents-in-law have got a caravan um, somewhere terrible, somewhere next to the North Sea where it's never warm. And we, uh, whenever we go out there, we're just on roaming the whole time and it makes me angry. I just think there's no need for it. We, we live in a civilized country and <laughs> should, should be able to get the internet wherever I want now. Right, exactly. Just like Jim Jeffrey says, we live in a society, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> we should be blanketed coast to coast with beautiful, beautiful 4G. I think there should be Wi-Fi everywhere. I think, why have they not arranged this? That there aren't Wi-Fi hotspots pretty much everywhere. Like, in towns there are, so we could make that happen everywhere else in the country, I'm sure. <laughs> You could just install routers into trees and... Exactly, exactly. They could be solar-powered. It would be... No one's working on this important stuff. <laughs> well, actually, Google is, believe it or not. They are... Oh, are they? Yeah, they are... In Africa, they are designing these balloon, Basically, these balloons that'll, that'll float up in the sky and will... Oh, really? Yeah, will... Uh, uh, broadcast internet to areas in Africa where there's no um, where there's currently no uh, internet. See, that's access. what we need. That's what that's what should be happening. Yeah, it's called. I, I just looked it up. It is called Project Loon. Oh, yeah, brilliant, excellent. I'm glad Google are are getting their fingers out about this because this is what we should be having. I know, I know. Just blink it. They could stick one over my parent-in-law's caravan. That'd be excellent. <laughs> Um, but what kind of company is JLB to just text Sophie and tell her that she got a promotion? I know, um, where these offices are in very odd places. So Croydon, Bristol, we know there's one in Aberdeen and one in Frankfurt. What bizarre series of places to have credit offices. Yeah, that's, I, I'm not familiar with the geography of that area. So I wasn't aware that that was kind of a weird combination of they're all places. shit places like shit um suburban areas where no company worth its sort would have four offices there i'm not i mean, I mean not frankfurt i don't know about frankfurt but the, the three british ones definitely maybe because they're in such bad parts of town the buildings were cheaper because yeah i mean i always sort of think that about jlb being in croydon and then being able to commute to it so easily from their homes makes me think it's not it's a bit of a shit company because it must be cheap to rent office space around there. I, yeah, I agree. It sounds like mm. the kind of, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I apologize. Uh, what was the last thing that you said? I got distracted. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. Um, I said that, yeah, to Croydon is such a poor, it's such a rubbish place and they're able to commute to it so easily from their homes that this is not a multinational company. Like they're not, they're not Google. They're not even Barclays. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I agree. 
Yeah. Uh, like I said, I'm imagining that they just have these buildings in such shit locations because it's just the rent is cheap. Yeah, I suppose it's a little bit like in in the UK office. I always think that is that it's quite clear that Wernham Hogg is not a great company because their office is in Slough. And if you've ever been to Slough, you know that rents in Slough are not going to be expensive. Um, Sophie starts to kind of apologize to Mark for not telling him that she was even applying for this job. She applied for it because she didn't even think she was going to get it. Um, Mark is trying to play off that he's very happy for her. And then he just pukes again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's clearly not happy. He's clearly upset by this news. Um, and this is like the end of their functioning relationship. I think <laughs> I think it's fair to say we had like six minutes of them as a functioning couple. And this is the end of it. Yes, it 100% is because, spoiler, nothing is the same from here on out. No, no. Sophie's personality more or less completely changes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is the last episode with Sophie as we know her. So, yeah, yeah. rest in peace, Sophie. <laughs> yeah. So the next scene, we are in the pub that Mary has inherited. Um, and it's Mark, Jeremy, and Superhands. And Mark is, is seeing it for the first time. And he looks absolutely horrified. Yeah, it's, it's really funny. And to kind of put this in context, the pub looks... It looks like that Mary's mother might have been some sort of hoarder because the pub is just completely hoarded out with... Yeah, it's covered in dust sheets. Furniture. With just rubbish underneath it, yeah. yeah. And Jeremy is just kind of, you know, oh, you know, we'll we'll move some of this stuff out of the way. And he's trying to get Mark excited about it and... Mark is just kind of looking around and just like, mm, yeah, this is great. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, he's trying to be nice, but it's not really working, is it? No. Jeremy is excited because he can just be at a pub all day and nobody can say anything to him about it because he works there. Uh, and Mark just completely knocks him down, doesn't he? He just yeah. is like, no, it's not going to be like hanging out at the pub all day because you're going to have to do the debit card authorizations and you're going to have to sort out the pumps and, and yeah, it's not going to be the fun free-for-all you think it is. Right, and then we get another classic Jeremy line where he just looks at Mark and says, Mark, do you have to live quite so relentlessly in the real world? <laughs> <laughs> and it's not only a brilliant classic Peepshow line, but completely sums up Mark's character, I think. Yes, it 100% does. And as I was watching this episode, I remembered that this episode had a lot of quotable lines. I, for the life of me, could not believe how many of my favorite lines come from this episode. Yeah, I agree. I was surprised how many great lines there were in it. Um, I knew that the this was a good episode, but I hadn't completely it hadn't completely registered with me how many of those lines that have become like classic peep show lines are in this episode. Yeah, I mean. At any given day on JLB Survivors Facebook group, this episode is probably getting quoted like 10 to 15 times, 10 to 20 yeah, times. Definitely. A day. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's definitely a fan favorite. Yeah. Uh, Mark asked Jeremy if Jeremy's done his market research, and Jeremy's just answer is it's a pub. Market research. <laughs> if you build it, they will come. That's my market <laughs> research. And uh, Mark then says, your market research is filled with dreams. I mean, a man who made a baseball pitch in his garden for ghosts, that's your model, um, which is funny. Now I understand it, but when I first saw this episode, I didn't know what field of dreams was, and I sort of understood because the joke is self-explanatory, but it didn't mean anything to me. Yeah, field of dreams is one of those, 
I think just distinctly American movies that probably just doesn't really translate well. Yeah, I it's a bit of a weird reference really to having a British show written by British people that's going to be predominantly written watched by Brits because it didn't mean anything to me. And when I asked my husband, he agreed that he knew what it meant now. But when he first watched this, when he was sort of 17, 18, he didn't know what, what he was going on about. So it's a bit odd. It must have resonated with someone for them to have mentioned it. You know, now that you mention it, that is weird that Mark would quote a sports movie. Yeah, an American sports movie at that. But maybe it was his age group. Maybe it was big. I'll have to ask my friend Pete, who's the same age as them, and let's see if he knew about it. Maybe it was big when they were teenagers or something. Well, that line, if you build it, they will come. I I mean, I feel like, and this is probably maybe just my American short-sightedness, I feel I feel like if I said that line to anybody that I know, they would know exactly what I was talking about, what movie it was from, and the context that it was in. I feel like that that is a very iconic line in just movies in general. Yeah, see, I feel like if I said it, people wouldn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really think that that the only people who would would be because they had seen this episode of Peep Show and they knew about it from that. Um, at this point, Superhands walks into the into the pub, and Jeremy kind of puts his arm on Superhands' shoulder, and he's like. I can I can bar you from I I bar you from the pub. I can do that because I have the power to bar and I won't necessarily be using it wisely or compassionately. Yeah, that's a great line from Jez. And I really enjoyed as well. Um, and I wrote this in my notes but didn't mention it last time but we tried to record this was that Hans calls Jez, uh, calls Jez or maybe Mark Mr. Motivator. Did you understand that in any way? <laughs> oh, I thought he was just saying it sarcastically. Right, because there was a, in the 90s, there was a guy who was like a television personality called Mr. Motivator, and he was like a sports guru, and I just thought that that was, <laughs> it was a really weird dated reference, and I don't even know who he's called him, Mr. Motivator, but I know it is in reference to that, but I don't know if he sent it to Mark or to Jez. Oh, I would have to, I'd have to assume that he was saying it to Mark, because Mark was dropping a sports reference right as he was walking in. Yeah, maybe, yeah, it definitely is sarcastic, but... It's a, it's a little funny aside, anyway. I just assumed it was one of those, like, where Mark was being negative, so uh, Hans was being like, oh, you know, saying it ironically. Yeah, I mean, maybe it is, but I can't believe that... I mean, Mr. Motivator was a big deal. We all know who he is. So I can't believe that that isn't actually a reference to Mr. Motivator, but it's really weird. <laughs> uh, <laughs> at this point, at this point... Hans and Jeremy have us have a conversation and it's really one of my favorite conversations. So we're just going to go ahead and insert that right here. Okay. Oh yeah. Fuck yeah. Look at this place. Yeah, I know. Still, we can move all this crap out and put a bar in what over there. No, mate. No way. Don't change nothing. It's perfect. Perfect. Superhands doesn't even look like a pub. Exactly. I've been down enough bloody city boy chain pubs with their logos in the foam and disinfectant in the lager, air freshener in the mayo. Yeah, I want to run a place that makes a difference. Yeah, well, I'm sure we can sort that out somehow. Let's start by getting rid of this. That stays. That's the reason I fell in love with this place. You want a washing machine in the pub? It'll freak them out. What the fuck's a washing machine doing in a pub? Jesus. 
I need a drink. Yeah? And boom, they'll have to have one of our organic scrumpies. Right. The thing is, Hans, as I've said before, I really just think we should serve at least one lager and nuts. You know, people like lager and nuts. People like Coldplay and voted for the Nazis. You can't trust people, Jeremy. But maybe I should go solo. I'm starting to have serious doubts about you. (laughs) (laughs) I really love this scene. I love, you know, people voted for Coldplay and the Nazis. You can't trust people. Yeah, this was a a big line that really resonated with us as students when this was on. And um, me, I lived in a house share with like seven people. But me and my friend James, we had a Albert of the house was like, we had a separate wing and it had its own door and we had this pinned to our door with the, are you a person? Don't knock because people like Coldplay and vote for the Nazis. And um, so this was something that, that meant a lot to me at the time and still I still say often. Yes, this is a very funny line. And this this whole scene in general where he's talking about the washer and the pub and everything just cracks me the hell up. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great scene. And when he's, yeah, when <laughs> he says... Oh, there's a fuck me. There's a washing machine in the pub. I need a drink. That's just it's brilliant. It just the way it's played is brilliant. No, this is what made me fall in love with the place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, sometime later, we have Mark and Jeremy, and they're at a corner store. I don't know. Do you think this is Mr. Patel's? Yeah, I think it could be. They they're definitely it's a, a shot they're passing uh, on their way out somewhere. So I think there's a good chance it could be Mr. Patel's. Yeah, Mark is really just kind of, as they're, uh, Mark and Jeremy are walking towards, at this point in time, a location you're not really sure of. Oh, well, no, I guess they say they're going to Mary's for a party. Yeah. And Mark is still just kind of beside himself about Sophie leaving, and he just looks at Jeremy and he goes, you know, I can't believe Sophie's gone. Do you think you'll stay, do you think she'll stay faithful to me? And Jeremy just gives him this look where he's just like, oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah, he's saying yeah, but he's basically saying no. And next we get kind of a weird part where Jeremy starts bringing up that in uni, Mary and Mark kind of had a thing. And Mark is saying, no, we didn't. But Jeremy just kind of keeps poking and prodding. Yeah. um, And you said in your notes that you think Jeremy's being kind of a dick and like prodding him about it. And I'm not sure if he's been a dick or if he's just being Jeremy and he's just generally saying the thing that he shouldn't say or but mark's very mark's trying to shut him down the whole time during this conversation well that's what i'm saying that's why i'm saying he's being a dick because if i was talking to a friend about a past you know something and my friend was like yeah i don't want to talk about that i I think i would probably respect my friend's decision not to talk about it jeremy's either not getting the social cue or he's pretending not to get the social cue in this situation no he talks about the night that Mark stayed over at Mary's after they did all the blues, which I was thinking, again, was going to be a drug reference, but (laughs) then he clarifies that it's Blues Brothers, Betty Blue, Blue Velvet, and Big Blue. Yeah, yeah, like a night of blue-scented films. And, um, but but Mark says no, and then Jeremy says, oh, I'm sure that you wrote her a really long letter in Mark Pen and then burnt it in the garden. And Mark still is saying that he... He doesn't recall any of this, even though you definitely would remember doing that. Yeah, and then he he quickly changes the subject, uh, asks him how the pub is going, and they walk around the corner and you see the pub for the first time. And at the time of this episode, it was called The Mitre. 
and I did some research on Google, and I found out that the Mitre has been redeveloped into luxury flats. Uh, really? So there, yeah, so there's a chance that people are living in the Swan and Pedo and have no <laughs> clue where they are living. Um, is it in Corridon? I'm just going to say yes. Okay, all right. I'm just, uh, yeah, I just, I'm wondering, I'm wondering how much those, uh, those flats have cost. I bet they, I bet they went for a pretty penny, probably more than the pub would have gone for. I have a, I have a feeling that probably, I wonder if that's even in like an advertising, you know, like, oh, live where, you know, the <laughs> swan and the pedo was. Yeah. Oh, I'm looking. It closed in February 2005. The Mitre did? Yeah, it is in Croydon. It says, oh, have you got any anecdotes about this? No, no one's got any anecdotes or historical pictures of it. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's it was in Croydon. And yeah. Oh, yeah, and that was... would and and that would make sense that it was closed when they filmed there because they it was probably cheap for them to film there. Yeah, that was probably it was probably its last act as a pub. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, probably was. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. It's really funny though because when I was looking at this on Google Map, I could completely see the places where Mark and Jeremy were walking. It was really crazy. Yeah, and it's. That's why I'm saying it's weird that this pub would be so close to their house. No, I mean in this uh, in this episode where they were walking. Oh, you, you could, know when you, they were you could see on the map, right? Yeah, I understand. Yeah, yeah, I could figure out in Google Map like where their walking, walking route was yeah. on the way to the mitre. Yeah, authentic. See. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty interesting. I was like, oh, hey, I see that. I could see the like fence or and shit like that that they were walking past. It was kind of crazy. Yeah. I felt like a little bit of a stalker. <laughs> so yeah, we we see we see the pub for the for the first time outside, and they keep walking. So they go in. We assume that wherever Mary is is like maybe above the pub. Do we think? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we forgot the best part, which is. Jeremy mentions how him and Superhands are kind of deadlocked on the name of the pub. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. But Jeremy knows for sure that he is not running a pub called Free the Pedos. <laughs> yeah, that's the political statement that Hans wants to make. Is about Free the Pedos. <laughs> There's a lot of pedo humor in Peep Show. There is a lot of pedo humor in Peep Show, and that is like a classic thing that probably gets said over there as well. But if you're accused of being like a lefty lunatic, it's always like, oh, I suppose you want to free all the pedos. Oh boy, it's it's like you know our right wing. <laughs> it's like you know the right wing talking points so yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's because they're the same here. I'm sure that talk radio is the same the world over. Oh, you want to let men into the women's room? <laughs> oh, next, or you want to you want to approve men getting married to men? Next thing you know, you'll be wanting to free the pedos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Hans has just cut out the middleman and decided he wants to make his pub basically the punchline of a late night talk show. Yeah, as they're walking in, as they're walking towards the pub, Mark starts to wonder if he should just get off with a girl at Mary's party in case Sophie does it in Bristol first. Yeah. And this is really fucking weird because I can't see Mark ever just getting off with someone. No, I but, can't imagine he's ever got off with anyone in his life. But it was funny because I paused it at that line and I wrote, this is so out of character for Mark. And then I hit play again and I got to the next line where he, Mark is just like, yeah. 
get off with somebody <laughs> at a pub. When was the last time I did that? And he does say about Carol Banana Face, uh, and he apparently got off with her, but he says that was just a macabre charade. I know. I would love to know m- more about Carol Banana Face. Yeah, I think the spin-off should be about Carol Banana Face and all the other unseen characters. Pedge, Carol Banana Face. European Bob. European Bob, yeah. All, all those guys. <laughs> That's one thing that I really enjoy about Peep Show is they have such awesome ways of describing characters where, you know, it's like Canadian Mary, Carol Banana Face, European Bob, Pedge, Big Mad Andy, where it's it's short and succinct and you know everything that you need to know about that character just based off of their nickname. See, this is exactly like my dad who everyone he knows has got like some random nickname back from the old days and it constantly <laughs> makes us laugh and, and I'm sure at some points he's making it up just to just to like over egg the the humour but it's like always oh you know like Bob the Beard, Terry the Dog, like there's always a Ken the Fish. Yeah, why do you call him Ken the Fish? Oh, because he ran the fish store on the market for 40 years. Like man and boy, it's always everyone's got a nickname. <laughs> oh, I was I, I was thinking it was gonna be like Bob the drunk or something like that. <laughs> no, this is never as it's never as obvious as that. It's never as transparent as that, because that would be that would be that would make sense. Yeah, always really odd nicknames. Yeah, it'd be like Puddle Bob. Well, why do you call him Puddle Bob? Oh, because he got drunk and fell in a puddle one time. Oh, I was just gonna say, I wish I had a kick ass nickname like that. I know, like... I've always wanted a nickname and it's never never ever transpired for me. No, I had I had one before I joined the military. Um, I was playing a lot of computer games, and so when you're in kind of a computer game, because I know that this is not really your culture, no. but when you're in sort of the like online video game circle, you just start to refer to everybody by your online handle. Right. And so um, I had told my mom, I was like, yeah, I had read, written her a letter from basic training, and I had asked her, you know, like, hey, can you go to the computer place that I go to and just tell everybody I say hi, and... Uh, so my poor mom goes into this place where she's never ever been before, and she's just like, "Oh, she's talking to the owner," and she's like, "Oh, hi, is you are you Joe?" And he's like, "Yeah, I'm Joe." And she's like, "Oh, you know, my my son Sean just wanted to let you know that you know he's doing fine, and he, he, he misses coming up here." And Joe just looks at my mom, and he's like, "Sean, like who the hell is Sean?" <laughs> and my mom's like, "I don't you know, tall guy joined the air force," and he's like, "Oh, you mean?" And then you know my online handle, and then my mom wrote me a letter back, and she's like. Uh, how come you didn't tell me that everybody up there just refers to you by a nickname? And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. See, I've never even had a nickname like that. I've never had a nickname. It just hasn't happened. Yeah, they're they're not all they're cracked up to be. No. My, my husband's best friend uh, calls me Arnie's because my major name was Arnold, but that's it. That's the closest I've ever got to a nickname. And it's not much of one, is it? So if anyone could think of a good nickname for me, I, I polite one that'd be nice yeah if you come up with a good nickname for her i will call her i will <laughs> refer to her all the time yes i will make it a thing <laughs> i will say oh it's laffy laura or whatever you want to call her yeah, come up with something all right so now we get to see inside of the flat and it's mary mark and jeremy all inside the flat and i really like the way they film this next scene because they each have reasons why the characters so mark and jeremy 
each of them has a reason why they have to leave the room and leave the other one alone with Mary. Yeah. And each of them have a really different interaction. And it's super funny. Um, Mary is dressed really weird. She's kind of dressed like my four-year-old niece. She's got like a tutu and like an outfit that just doesn't really make a whole bunch yeah, of sense. Yeah, she's got like a fur sort of shrug on, like a little jacket. And yeah, a tutu with sequins on. And she looks like she's dressed for like some sort of mad ball. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I know. She looks like maybe Madonna in the early 80s. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And her hair's all big and mad as well. Yeah, she's probably doing her best Madonna look, if you think of, like, like a virgin era Madonna. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. Um, Mark and Jeremy are surprised because they thought that they were coming to a party, and instead it's just Mary and the two of them. And then Mark, at this point, pretty much just excuses himself to call Sophie, and that leaves Jeremy and, and Mary alone in the room. Yeah, and that's when she offers the pub to Jeremy, who seems surprised that she would be just handing him the keys to a pub. Yeah. Yeah, she starts talking really fast and just kind of, you know, is is weird and she's just like, "Do you do you want the pub?" and he's like, "Do I want the pub?" and she's like, "Yeah, I'll just give you the pub." And he's like, oh, "Okay." Okay. She's more or less saying it's an, it's a uh, a millstone around her neck, isn't she? She doesn't she doesn't need it. She's she she can you just take it off my hands? Yeah. And Jeremy is all excited and at this point Mark comes back in and uh, Jeremy just looks at Mark and he's like, hey, fuck you, Mark. The world's not all wrong sometimes. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Jeremy then, he leaves the room to make the phone call to Hans. Yeah. Uh, as soon as Jeremy leaves the room, um, Mary just kind of turns her seduction charms on to, I don't know, she probably in her head thinks she's being way sexier than she actually yeah, is. Yeah, she's just coming off like a someone in the middle of a... A manic episode but she's she thinks she's being super super sexy and she tells mark that he's become a bit of a hunk yeah mark is mark just looks at her and he's like oh it might surprise you to know that nobody's ever said that to me yeah before. uh and unsurprisingly he's surprised to be called a hunk um and then she asks him if he wants to put his popsicle in her purse <laughs> and she makes a little hand gesture and and mark just looks worried i think at this point that he's he, he seems mark seems to be aware she's in the middle of a manic episode in the way that jeremy wasn't right um mark and i also like when she she tells him that uh um oh she tells him that she has a letter for him and she goes over to the fireplace and she grabs this letter and she hands it to him and then and it's sort of a bit crumpled isn't it and it's on like yeah. a bit of paper torn out of a notebook yeah, and then she tells Mark that her bone has a little machine, and then she rushes <laughs> off to the bathroom. Yeah. Um, and I know that you paused it to see what you could read from the letter, and I so did I, and it was, I couldn't read much of it. What did you get? I got, Mark, I just wanted to write you a letter to blank, I couldn't make out this word, and tell you how I felt about you, and about you is underlined. Yeah, I thought it said I wanted to write you a letter to let you know and tell you how I felt oh, about okay. you. So yeah, similar. I think that's what it says. Yeah, and then the next line starts, I have wanted to tell, and then it just kind of trails off. Yeah, but there's a little bird drawn at the top, and the handwriting's a bit all over the place, and it's clear that this has been written in the middle of the mania. Was it written with a marker too? I couldn't tell. No, it's in a biro, um, but it's sort of scrawly, and she's underlined a lot of stuff, and it, she's done little doodles, and it does look splotchy and inky. 
Yeah, at this point, Mark thinks about following Mary into the bathroom since she's so hyper and probably really great at sex, but then he's like, oh, I don't want to get my cock slammed in a toilet seat for no reason. <laughs> yeah, because that's a normal thing to think. And Jer- uh, uh, it's a f- it, hey, it's, it's a, a legit fear. fear. It's a fear. Okay, all right. I'm not. I'm not a man, so I can't say. But as a, as a man, we spend a lot of time thinking of ways to protect our junk from <laughs> any sort of injury. Yeah, fair enough. Then okay, that's not. It's not a weird thing to think. Or you're as weird as Mark. <laughs> we try to protect ourselves and prevent any injuries from occurring. Um. <laughs> uh, Jeremy walks back walks back in and he's still on the phone with Super Hands and he's like, Yeah, Hands, I really think all of our major differences will just sort of float away as long as we don't confront them too early. Yeah, because that's how you Another, go into a business agreement. Or a podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and then Jeremy uh, no, then Mark turns to Jeremy as she leaves and says, I think there's something wrong with her. And this is the the first uh, it seems to be the first Jeremy's thought about it. Yeah, and he Mark looks at Jeremy and he's like, Jeremy, I think there's something wrong with Mary. She made a pass at me. And I like Jeremy's first response is, oh, Mark, you just have low self-esteem. <laughs> yeah, if anyone makes a pass at you, they must be mad. Yeah, and then, but Mark is like, no, no, I, I really think she's, there's something wrong with her. And Jeremy's just like, oh, you know, she's always been a bit full on. She's kooky. Yeah, he says that, don't you remember... At Darcy, she was always the one who'd pull pranks, put Tabasco in your pint, that sort of thing. So Jeremy seems to think this is, he either thinks that this is just usual or it's in his best interest to think this is usual because of the pub. Mm-hmm. And then at this point, as if to reiterate Mark's point, Mary pops out of the bathroom and informs the boys that if they have to shit, they need to shit in the bin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely something not right there. Yeah, um... I really enjoy this next scene back at Apollo House. Yeah, the um, phone sex scene. Yeah. Mark is on the phone with Sophie, and he's kind of, he's like, oh, did she get it? Did she get it? Oh, it was bloody Amazon. Of course she's gotten it. <laughs> and um, at, at that point, Sophie, as if she's reading Mark's mind, goes, oh, I, I got the book that you sent me. And Mark's just like, oh, yeah? Um, and she says, uh, oh, I got that book Vox you sent me. Mark, do you know what this book is about? And Mark's like, uh, uh. And she's like, it's about phone sex. And so I wanted to just see if this was an actual book mm-hmm. or if this was all bullshit. And it is actually a real book. Oh, really? Good to know. What, yeah. what is it by? Uh, Nicholson Baker. Oh, and that well-known I have author. The, uh, yeah, well, it sounds like all of his... It sounds like that for a while he wrote kind of more serious books... And then he just got into, like, smutty erotica. <laughs> okay. He saw that's where the money was. Yeah, yeah. Um, but here's the blurb on the back of Vox, and it says, Vox is a novel that remaps the territory of sex. Sex, solitary and telephonic. Lyrical and profane. Comfortable and dangerous. It is an erotic classic that places Nicholson Baker firmly at firmly in the first rank of major American writers. You know, like, right up there with Stephen King. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's a he's a real uh, oh I can't I think of any American he's a real Hemingway at this point yeah yeah, oh, yeah, yeah uh, <laughs> when I think about the Mount Olymp or the Jesus Mount Olympus Mount oh god damn it Mount Rushmore of American authors you know <laughs> he's, Nicholson he's right Bakers. there yeah yeah right up there yeah he um, yeah. it seems like such an unlikely book for Mark to buy 
I know. I mean, one, he would have had to research books about phone sex, which I cannot even see him doing. No, I can't imagine that he would want to have phone sex. It's just really odd. It's just, it seems really out of character. I know. I mean, he's, uh, he's, he's uncomfortable, like, the whole time that it's happening. And, yeah, uh, and he just, yeah, he, it's almost like, I think maybe it would have been, not funny, because this scene is really funny, but it would have made more sense if it had been Sophie sending him the book. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, but but whatever. In he's the writers know Mark better than we do, I guess. But he's the one that sent the book, and uh, he wants to encourage some sort of phone eroticism to begin. One thing I really enjoy in the scene is how it's filmed, where there's a bunch of mirror shots, where there's you know two or three mirrors around um apollo house and you he takes time looking in all of them yeah. so you really get the sense of um how he is but let's go ahead and play the phone sex scene okay do you want to start, uh, no, start. okay i'll just d dive in shall i okay what am i gonna say clinton would know what to say blair would know what to say even putin would know what to say have you have you got nice tits well, it's not for me to say, but... You have. You, you really have. And feet and arms and... You know, I don't want to just focus on the sexual parts, because... Look, um, listen, we, we might have to try going a bit dirtier, OK? OK. Good. OK, so a guy's just walked in here. A big, nice guy without his pants on. He's got a big hard on and, and... He goes. Can we get rid of him? He goes and puts his pants on. It's just you and me and... And, and Andrew Neal's interviewing us about politics, but, but when the camera's not on us, we're, we're all hot, and I'm just screwing you, and, and there's nothing Andrew Neal can do about it. Who's Andrew Neal? He's the ex-editor of the Sunday Times. It, it doesn't matter. Hi, Mark, it's Jeremy. I'm with Mary. She was outside. Someone's coming in. I, I think it's Jeremy. Oh, no, Mark, no, sorry, I'm not into that. No, Sophie's back. I've got to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So uncomfortable. So and then, cringe. Yeah. Uh, he has like a Victoria's Secret catalog out and he's got uh, like a passport photo of Sophie's head and he's... Now, you know what that is? That's a copy of... I think it's a copy of Nuts magazine. You know, in uh, Man Show, we talked about all the different magazines he had. I think it's one of the... It's, it might even be one of the same editions, but it's one of those men's magazines. I'm sure. I'm sure it is. I didn't really know what it was, but yeah. Yeah, it's like because it's like the article that is open on this is like the High Street Honeys. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, and he puts a, he's got a passport photo of Sophie, hasn't he? That he puts on the heads. Yeah, he he matches her up to the most like realistic body or something like that. It's very fucking funny. Yeah, the one, the palest one. She's got is like almost. It's really good. The, the way it's done, it does actually. It sort of works. Yeah, it's super funny. But before Mark can even really start to enjoy the phone sex, Jeremy and Mary walk in, and Mark just grabs a pillow and he just puts it on his lap to hide the fact that he's like super aroused at this point. Yeah, and uh, Mary is. She's still is she still dressed in her finery or she's in a similarly mad assortment of clothes? Yeah, it's a similar mad assortment of clothes. Yeah, and she's carrying a baguette and um, <laughs> Jeremy says that she's here to get her instructions about the curly curly cuckoo. Yeah, the curly whirly cuckoo and um she gets down on the sofa that Mark is sitting on and she tries to put her head on Mark's lap and Mark just kind of <laughs> jumps up and yeah, and Mark decides he's going to take affirmative action. So he asks if she's got any phone numbers of brothers or sisters or anyone. 
or close to her people. people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Mary says that she's got numbers, lots of numbers. Um, and Jeremy hands a newspaper and a pen to her to write it down. And she writes down some numbers and gives it back to Jeremy, who just says, that's just three numbers. Yeah, and then Mary earnestly looks up at Jeremy and she's just like, I can write some more if you'd like. <laughs> uh, at this point, Mary gets up off the couch and they kind of leave her to wander around the flat. With her French bread that she's gnawing on. Yeah. Uh, Mark and Jeremy are both kind of scared and they don't know what to do about their friend who's clearly in the throes of like a manic depression. Yeah, they, they don't know how to cope with it. They don't know what to do. Um, they sort of look at each other, don't they? Yeah. Physically. Yeah. Mary comes back in about 15 seconds later with uh, her face completely covered in <laughs> shaving cream. She's got Mark's razor and she's got a can of shaving cream in the other. And she just said, Mark, is this your sharpest razor? It better be sharp because I have a damn important meeting in the morning. <laughs> and this is a, a line that gets used in our house a lot, even though my husband's got a beard, so he never shaves. And <laughs> so we don't have a lot of, but he often, this is something we'll say to each other is that, is this your sharpest razor? Because I've got a damn important meeting in the morning. <laughs> um. Now, this next, this next part that we talk about, I want to make this part very clear because we are going to circle back around to this one at, at the end of the episode. So Mark is tucking Mary into Mark's bed. They are using hospital corners, which they w was a device that was used. It was a way of folding the bed so that you could restrain a patient in before they made, you know, like... Well, I, I was going to say, before they had ways of restraining people, they would use these hospital corners to tuck the bed really tight so that they couldn't move. Uh, she's well-restrained in that bed, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's well-restrained. And she even says, you know, like, oh, this is a little uh, this is a little tight. <laughs> yeah, I can hardly move. Yeah, the only thing that is sticking out of, of the covers is her head. Like, yeah. she is literally covered from the neck down in bed sheets. Yeah, she's, she's well in there. Yeah, and she clearly states that she cannot move so yeah just remember, remember this that. remember yeah. this her head is the only thing that's sticking out and she clearly says she cannot move so all right pin in there let's continue <laughs> um so jeremy and mark leave the room and they start discussing who could they could bring for help who's basically who's got more responsibility for her than they do <laughs> And they land on, she's got a Canadian uncle that she mentioned, although they don't know where he is. And Jeremy suggests Pedge, but Mark says, I don't think he will help because he works in HMV. Yeah, this is the first mention of Pedge. And Pedge is a great character. And it sounds like Pedge has like this really fantastic life that we occasionally hear about throughout the series. Yeah, I'd love to know more about him. I'd love to have met him at some point because... We know he's got a houseboat. We know he works in HMV. We know he gave his wife an aggressive yeast infection. These, these all sound like the punchlines to adventures. Yeah. Who do you... If if they had introduced Pedge into the series, who do you envision playing Pedge? I kind of always imagined him as Stephen Mangan, like a kind of kooky, like crazy-haired, madcap guy. What about you? You know, you know Pepper from Modern Family? Oh, yeah. Nathan, I think it's Nathan Lane. Nathan Lane, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I could imagine Nathan Lane playing Pedge because he's got that kind of flamboyant personality. Not that, you know, Pedge is 
ever implied to be gay or anything, but you know, he's just very loud. He think he'd be theatrical. Yeah, sounds like a very loud theatrical person. So I, I could have seen Nathan Lane playing Pedge. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's um it's weird. It's weird how different our ideas of him are, but I definitely think in some ways I would like to have met Pedge, but then in others I guess I'm glad we didn't because it's a little mystery that is nice to speculate on. Maybe we'll meet Pedge in back. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Oh my god, that would be a fucking amazing Easter egg if at the pub there's this like this guy and and David Mitchell's talking to him and he's like, Oh, what's your name? And the guy's just like, Oh, my name's Pedge. That would and be it, brilliant. And David that Mitchell's just like, going mad. Yeah, and, and David Mitchell's just like, Pedge, what kind of fucking weird name is Pedge? <laughs> I'd like to see the universe collide in that way. Oh my god, that'd be incredible. <laughs> um Jeremy suggests maybe trying the three digit number that that Mary wrote down, and Mark's just like the three-digit number. <laughs> yeah, he's Mark just looks at him like he's mental, but Jeremy's like it could work, so he tries it, but of course it doesn't work. I know. I love how I love how Jeremy just is like, oh, we could try a three-digit number, and then as it's as he's typing, he's like, it won't work, and then he's like, okay, it didn't work. It didn't work. Yeah, he's like, I love that he just puts his faith in the three-digit number, even just for a few seconds. <laughs> <laughs> um. So at this point, Mark decides to. That he's going to call NHS Direct and see what it's going to take for them to section a friend. Yeah, he's got a lot of faith in NHS Direct, I think, at this point. I, my experiences with NHS Direct have never been very useful, and the call centre guys never seem to know very much. So I think it's a miracle that he manages to get Mary sectioned off the back of this. Didn't you, didn't you tell me when we recorded this last time that you called them and they were literally Googling... The- Breastfeeding, yeah. yeah. I phoned them um, when I was pregnant with my younger daughter... And I was still breastfeeding my older daughter because she was only she wasn't even two, and I had some pains. So I phoned an NHS direct to say, "Oh, do you think it's the breastfeeding that's causing this?" Or my husband did because I had a fever, and my husband was talking to him, well, to the person at the call centre. And then there was sort of a, a gap, and then my husband said, "Are you typing breastfeeding?" And they were actually googling breastfeeding. <laughs> so I think the fact that Mark gets Mary sectioned off the back of these call centre monkeys is unlikely yeah um as as mark is talking to the nhs direct guy jeremy starts to think oh you know if it turns out to be this easy i could get a few other troublesome people sectioned (laughs) yeah and he starts daydreaming about mark being sectioned doesn't he yeah he can get his big room but then realizes that this (laughs) might cause a bump in their relationship but you know mark did get over the coffee rings on the dining room table so yeah, I think it shows us again the kind of e- either childishness or just not on the same planet as everyone else's of Jeremy that he's even thinking this might work. Oh, it really, that line where he's just like, oh, but he did get over the coffee rings it, but, <laughs> and is comparing that to putting his dear friend in a mental hospital just cracks me up. Yeah. So the next scene is sometime later, maybe the next morning, I assume it to be. Um, they're in the front room and Mark is trying to phone Sophie again. Um, and he says, does he say this is the sixth time he's wrong? But yeah. she's not answering it. Yeah. yeah, and he's trying to leave her this discreet message where he's like, oh, I'm sorry about I, how I had to hang up in the middle of our thing. Yeah, and she um, and, and Jeremy obviously is still in the room and he's kind of listening and cringing pretending not to be he's sort of looking at the ceiling isn't yeah he? and he's looking at mark kind of 
yeah, he's kind of looking at Mark like, oh, okay, that's disgusting, you know? <laughs> yeah, he knows exactly what's going on, even if Mark's not saying it out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, the doorbell rings, and Mark walks up to the front door, and he opens it up, and it's Superhands, and Superhands looks like he's about to punch Mark, and he's like, did you try to get me sectioned? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mark says no, and then he shouts out, Jeremy, did you try and get hand sectioned? And Jeremy, unconvinced, and he says no, but we know he did. This yeah. is exactly what's happened. I, I love I love this, uh, where he's just like, oh, Jesus, no. And then he <laughs> thinks to himself, that sounded pretty convincing. <laughs> <laughs> and Superhands is like, well, someone tried to get me sectioned. And then he says the only person that can get Superhands sectioned is Superhands. Yeah, I really like that. And Jeremy kind of chalks it up to one of those freaky urban things like people who catch on fire for no reason um and then Hans says that he wants to have a heart to heart with jeremy about the pub and then he says that he's been chatting to european bob about this um but the bob's still stuck in the bloody crisp age and he couldn't get him on board so what's next mead on tap and really super hands is just talking in absolute bollocks at this point we don't know what he's talking about Jeremy looks exasperated with him and wishing he wasn't even on board with the pub idea. Yeah. Um, although, and then, um, you know, Jeremy's just like, look, we just got to, you know, talk about the name. I don't want the name Free the Pedos. I want to name it something more traditional, like, I don't know, Swan in the Tomato. <laughs> and then, and, and Hans is on board with this, and he just wants to compromise with Swan and Pedo. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a mix of both names. I don't know what the problem is. Yeah. Um, Jeremy's still not really on board with this, but he kind of fudges him, doesn't he? And then in a surprising show of business sense, Hans says they need to get the deeds to the pub. Yep, they need to get the keys cut and they need to borrow some money for overheads. Uh, yeah. Jeremy says that might be a little hard because Mary's been sectioned and <laughs> Super Hands is just like, Jesus, Mary's been sectioned? What's going on in this world? Or... And I love the way that Joe, uh, the Superhands doesn't even question the, the connection. He's just like, fucking hell, people get in section left, right, and center. Like, he doesn't even think, <laughs> oh, yeah, Mary's been sectioned, so maybe my trying to be sectioned might be something to do with that. He's just like, fucking hell, people are dropping like flies. <laughs> um, so now we get the crew at the mental hospital. Uh, we tweeted Matt King. I don't know. It feels like at this point in eternity ago. Um, we asked him if he had any stories about this episode that he wanted to share with us. And he said nothing he could share publicly, which really piqued my curiosity. Mm, Yeah, me too. Um, but he did confirm that this was filmed in a actual legitimate mental health facility. Yeah. And that made me smile actually, because my horse residence at university was a psychic. It was a old psychiatric hospital that had been turned into a horse residence. So... (laughs) And it did have a proper psych hospital vibe about it, so not surprising. Did it have a padded room somewhere? <laughs> no, but it had those kind of like, it had like a weird room, like a weird building with weird rooms in that no one knew what they were really for, and they were an odd shape, and they'd been made into like a pool table room, and that was probably where the rubber room was originally. Or that was where they conducted the horrific site electric shock therapy yeah, yeah probably yeah there like was probably a, some some serious ghosts roaming that place yeah fucking lobotomies and stuff like that <laughs> yeah. uh, mark is concerned because he hasn't heard from sophie and he starts to think that she's just broken up with him he he wonders about dating mary and he said it, it would sort of suit me suit me to have a girlfriend in an institution 
regulated meeting times. I might get to have a say in her medication. I'd like to be able to chemically alter my girlfriend's moods. <laughs> yeah, and that, that, is, that is 100% Mark. If he could have a wife that he could volume up intermittently, I think that would suit him down to the ground because I don't think he's wrong. No, I can see him. I could see him being completely on board with a wife that had regulated meeting times. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so they go into the room where Mary is, and she's on her bed looking manic with mad hair, rocking back and forth in a hospital gown. Yeah, and um, Jeremy and, and Hands are both trying to just get her out of there so they can get the pub deed and. You know, they're talking about how, oh, yeah, look, she's fine. She's fine. And the doctor's like, no, she is not fine. Yeah, she's she's definitely not fine. And um, he Mary... Says, yeah. yeah the, go on. Oh, sorry. The doctor says that Mary is in the middle of a manic episode and, yeah. you know, she cannot Can't get be released. Out. Yeah. Yeah. And they so Jeremy and Hans walk out of the room um, to, I suppose, discuss what they're going to do next. And as they do... Mary goes into her locker at the side of the bed and she gives Mark a folder which she says are the deeds to the pub. Uh, yeah, she just tells him to hand the... She just hands him the folder and then she just tells him to give that to Jeremy and Mark doesn't really know, like, what the fuck it is. I don't think I actually mentioned this last time, but this was something I flagged up in my notes, which was, would, would you just have the deeds knocking about? Don't the need deeds get held in, like, a secure location? Would Mary just have them? Holy shit, I didn't even think about that. No, I only thought of it because we don't, obviously, we don't own our house because it's got a mortgage on it. Well, we do own it, but it's, there's a mortgage on it. So the deeds are held by the mortgage company. But my parents don't have a mortgage anymore. And their deeds are not in their house. They're in a bank, in a secure vault in a bank. So how has Mary just got her hands on these deeds? Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I never... Um... I guess I never thought about that, that it's very odd that she just happens to have um, these deeds at, you know, her disposal. Yeah, I, I, again, maybe I'm prepared to be corrected. Maybe once you outright own somewhere, the deeds aren't very useful and they, they can be kept by you. But they seem like a valuable thing to just have knocking around in a manila folder in your desk. Yeah, it's weird. It is weird. But for the purposes of the episode, she's got the deeds and she gives them to Mark. Yeah. And again, Mark is just still a little unsure of what, you know, of what is actually in this folder. Um, they go into the psychiatrist's office and Jez and Hans are still, still trying to convince the doctor to release Mary. Um, uh, Jeremy is, you know, saying that, oh, she's always been the life and soul of the party and you're trying to keep her down with your chemical kosh. <laughs> Hans is just like, oh, all she needs is a vodka tonic and a little lay down and she'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. And the, psych the psychiatrist says, no, that isn't going to happen. I'm not going to release her. And Jeremy responds, uh, your dream is just everyone on the omnibus. Gray, eating gray sludge. That's your dream, isn't it? And the psychiatrist just looks completely confused. Yeah, and he's just like, nope, not at all. <laughs> and then Mark starts apologizing for, for Jeremy, um, as is his general, that's what he normally does in a stressful situation. Yeah, and he's just like, oh, I'm sorry, he thinks it's the 60s, and <laughs> yada, yeah. yada, yada. And... It's the 60s, he thinks everything's okay, yeah. Yeah, and... Uh... And then the uh, hands then 
has goes for a last ditch attempt to the psychiatrist and says, if you promise to let her go, we promise we'll keep her restrained, tightly tied, which is the creepiest line I think that Hans comes out with. It's the way he it is the way he delivers it that is super creepy because he gets kind of close to his face when he delivers it. It's really yeah. creepy. There's like a menacing, slightly rapey edge to it, I would say. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then Jeremy also looks at Mark and he's like, oh, right. Well, you're with them now. Tell me, is it mad to be not diagnosed with a mental disorder or is it in fact much more mad to get up every morning to go to your boring job and print out lots of meaningless documents. <laughs> and I have to kind of say, like, I kind of feel him there. I kind yeah, of feel him Yeah, I there. get it. I see, I do see what you're saying. Um, he, yeah, unfortunately, society functions on the premise that we are going to get up and go and print loads of meaningless documents every day, doesn't it? So, you know, but maybe Mary has just fallen out of the game and that's why she's the, the establishment thinks she's mad, even if she's not really. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the psychiatrist is like, look, I appreciate how passionately you feel about your friend, but there's no way I can sign her out. I'm sorry. And then at this point, Mark is just like, hey, you know, Mary gave me this paperwork to give to you, but I don't know why she wanted to give it to you. And then as soon as, as like the second that Jeremy realizes what this is, his tune completely changes in, in regard to getting Mary out. Yeah, and he's like, right, fine. If you if you think she needs to stay in, then she needs to stay in. Yeah. Um, and then they all walk out. And then this next scene is pretty funny. Um, we'll, so we'll just go ahead and play this scene right here. Look, uh, Mary wanted me to give you these deeds. I'm not sure why or what. Okay, well, fair enough, mate. I've said my piece, but you win. After all, you're the expert. Okay, guys, let's go. So, Jez, why is she giving you these? Uh, those? I don't know. They're not important. Just give them to me, really. What? The deeds to the pub? Of course they're important. In fact, why do you even need them? Oh, yeah, didn't I, didn't I tell you? Yeah, um, she's giving us the place, so I just hand them over, really. She gave it to you? Well, yeah. I mean, it's all perfectly legal, probably, Mark. I don't see what you're worried about. But that's... Obviously, I, I mean, she's not in her right mind. She was fine when she gave us the pub. Well, are you sure? Because I guess giving away a pub that's worth several thousands of pounds for free, that kind of suggests you haven't exactly got your best thinking cap on. Mark, we're not exploiting her. Once we turn the pub into a cash cow, we'll give her some of the cream. Yeah, right. Look, I just think in this situation, Mary needs an impartial advisor like me to help her decide what's best. God, you're loving this, aren't you? Holding the deeds like Mr Monopoly with his top hat and his iron. Do you really think if you don't give us her pub, she's going to let you screw? <laughs> oh, God, that is low. That is really nuts. Are you saying I'm mad? Is that what you're saying? Are you going to try and get me sectioned for simply following my dream? Look, I, I just think the best thing is if I hand these to the authorities here and let them decide. Hi there, Doctor. Listen, I just wondered if you could take care of a deli. He's gone nuts. Get off! You need a section him, he's out of his mind. What? I'm not out of my mind, I just need to give me some documents. He's a loony, he was running around with his cock out before saying it was on fire. He's lost it. He thinks there's a pigeon in Catalonia that's in control of his legs. I really don't. Jeremy, tell him. 
Well, <clears throat> I don't know. I mean, I mean, mostly he's okay, but maybe, maybe you should keep him in for observation just for a couple of days. Jeremy, are you? Look, if there's anyone who's going nuts here, it's not me, it's you! That they could section you for trying to section me! If you try to section me, Mark, you'll have crossed the line and I will section you, so help Look, me! Look, guys. You've had your fun with the sectioning. There's going to be no more sectioning today. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, you guys have had your fun with the sectioning. Great line, great line. Yeah, this whole scene is pretty funny where, um, you know... Super hands. Ah, he's running around with his cock out and all that stuff. It's great. <laughs> the pigeon in Catalonia. He's another character I'd like to know more about. <laughs> yeah. yeah, me too. Um, so then we get to our final scene where we have Mark at a train station. And you did some research and you figured out that it was very difficult. It would be very difficult uh, for... Um, yeah, this wasn't just like a little bit out of his way to try and bump into her. Like he's gone hours out of his way to, to, to bump into her at this intersection. And he claims to be going to a conference um, or a training, a training seminar in Oxford. And he is bumping into her uh, while she's on her way from Bristol to Birmingham. And she just looks completely befuddled, but not that, not that unconvinced by the story. And I just think this is obvious that he's been a creep. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty funny, and, and Mark is just like, oh, you know, I, I'm just on my way to Oxford for a training seminar, and you must be on your way from Bristol to Birmingham. And, and he does say, in his head, he does say, looks like she fell for it, and he's he, even he's surprised, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's super surprised. Um, yeah, he's super surprised that Sophie actually fell for this. But this is just another one of his, like, stalky weird things he does. Yeah, it's not quite as bad as hacking her email, but it's a little bit No, but it's up there. there. It's a weird thing. Yeah, definitely a weird thing. Yeah. Um, Sophie is kind of cold to him, and he just kind of gets straight to business, and he's like, oh, why haven't you called me in over a week? And uh, she's, yeah, she's sort of, she's been cold, and then she gives him a bit of a bitch face, doesn't she, and says, oh, well, I thought you'd be busy with your new girlfriend, Mary. All right, and then, yeah, Mark's just like, what? And she's like, oh, your new girlfriend who you're in love with, Mary, or do you fall in love with people all the time and just forget about it? And Mark is just kind of caught off guard, and he's like, Mary? Oh, you think Mary? And then Sophie is just like, oh, she told me, Mark. I called, and she answered. She was in your bed, all tucked up tight, as she put it. So let's just jump back to the pin from, like, I don't know, half an hour, 40 minutes ago. Yeah. Where Mary was tucked so tight in that bed that she could not move. Only her head was sticking out. How the hell did Mary pick up the phone? Yeah, exactly. And why, A, she can't get her arms out to answer the phone. B, does Mark not know where his mobile is? And C, he has been obsessing for days and days about her calling. And he's not gone back through his call log at any point and seen the call. Yeah. Yeah, it's so it's so strange. I mean, it's just it's the weirdest thing. Like, I can't see somebody in the middle of a manic state like Mary was having the wherewithal to delete the call from the call log. No, exactly. She's 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 a mentalist. She's not going to have done that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh So this is yeah. a, this is a definite plot hole, I would say. Yeah, this is definitely a plot hole um, where 
but then Mark seems so he she says something like don't embarrass yourself but then he must look so incredulous that she does start to believe him I think yeah he he says you know look she's in the hospital honestly I can give you her reference number <laughs> yeah and uh, it says that she's she's been incarcerated she stayed one night and then the white van came and they took her away yeah and Sophie just is like oh oh so as far as you're concerned we're still because for the last few days I've been under the impression that um and Mark just kind of looks at her and he's like you didn't do anything <laughs> did you and she says no not really and you can tell that she has yeah you can tell that Mark is upset about this because he's like not really <laughs> and uh yeah, she's she's clearly she thinks clearly everything's fine between them now, um, and she gives him a kiss and she walks away. Yeah, and as she walks away to go catch her train, Mark just thinks to himself, "Nothing happened, really." The three least comforting words in the English language. <laughs> and that's the end of Mark and Sophie as we as we know it, really. Yep, that is. Yep, that is definitely that is true. That is true. That yeah. is kind of the the end of mark and sophie as we know them as a functioning normal couple it goes on um it goes on much longer the relationship and the the connection between them but this is the end of any sort of functioning relationship yep um i don't know about you i fucking love this well i can i can say that i feel like you probably love this episode just as much as yeah, i do it's a great episode it's one of it's definitely in my top my top 10 well no my top five of episodes that it's just it's got everything it's got super hands being brilliant it's got really really funny quotable lines and uh it's yeah it's a really strong episode as far as episodes go i would say that this is probably the most quotable one that i've watched so far yeah definitely and like you said earlier on really surprised by how many great lines there are in it Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's really really funny i really as i'm as we're doing this deep dive into all the peep show episodes i am really forgetting how many good episodes of this show there really are i know that there's a lot of people who are like oh it falls off after season four or you know oh i hate season seven or you know whatever but um, i think even in the weakest seasons though there are there are great episodes like there are times when the, the show is a little flabbier and there are less good episodes in a series but there's no series where there isn't one great episode or there isn't there aren't you know some really quotable lines and i think that this episode is a real high point in the middle of what is a good season oh yeah yeah it's with mugging and sectioning kind of back to back it's great episodes and then of course we've got shrooming next week so i mean in my opinion this might be the best three episode run of the entire series so yeah definitely far. it feels like it's on a real roll and it was like riding high and this was the point at which i said this before where i think it was really getting recognition in this country when people were actually starting to watch it rather than it just being one of those weird things that was on i think it had changed a lot i think it was on at 10 o'clock on a friday which was like a the pub slot uh when people were coming home from the pub and i think people were genuinely watching it in earnest Mm-hmm. yeah I really wish I had people in around me that watched it so I could have these fun quotables with <laughs> yeah. people. Yeah, it's good, it's good to have the peep show people around you. Yeah. Um, 
so we got feedback on this episode. We've got Danielle from Sutton, and Danielle has kind of become an unofficial, what did you say, the unofficial third member of the team? Yeah, she's helping us with our social media. She's uh, she's very talented in that area, I think. Is it her job? Is she an actual social media manager? Yep. Yeah, yeah so she, she, is, she knows what she's doing. Yeah, and she's being super helpful to us right now, and our our Twitter looks better than it probably ever has yeah, before. Yeah, Twitter's looking good. Yeah, I mean, you did a great job, but you know, it's uh, it's looking really good. I'm not proud. Eight hundred and eight hundred and ninety followers, so that's awesome. Yes, I would Pretty... really like to be getting towards a thousand followers by the end of this week, um, and we're doing great. We're sort of up every day, so yep. I. Absolutely. When this, I mean, I don't know when this is going to be ready for. What with all the hoo ha, with the um, re-recording and stuff. But I would like to think that by the time you lot are listening to this, we'll be closer to a thousand than we are not. Yeah, I'm. I'm aiming to have this up Saturday. I think Saturday will be a very realistic time to have this cool. up. I'm going to keep pushing the thousand followers thing and hope that we, fingers crossed, we'll be getting there by the end of the week. Yeah. Um, so Danielle says, I really like this episode. It sits firmly on the farce end of the scale, but I don't have a problem with that as it features super hands a lot and it has some great lines from each character. Uh, I'll kind of yada yada through some of this cause it's a lot of it is what we said. Uh, Mark and Sophie having the weirdest Sunday date, Mary, oh Mary, she's brilliantly psychotic and the way she calls Mark a hunk always makes me laugh. I need to know more about the pub that Superhands used to run, which we already talked about. Yeah, definitely. The phone sex scene makes good use of mirrors to get the POV shots. I will admit that this feedback actually is what kind of clued me into that, so good <laughs> yeah. on you, Danielle. Um, and then she says, Jez trying to call the three-digit number actual laugh out loud, and I agree with you 100%. Yeah. Um, and nothing really happened with Sophie and who. Yeah, I, um, I was thinking about this, actually, because later on, spoilers, Sophie says that she's only had sex with five men, does she? Or four four or five, it's not very many. And I did think... Uh, yeah, I think it's five guys. Yeah, and I did think, oh, was the Bristol guy one of those guys? <laughs> did, was, did Was it full sex, or was it just, like, falling around with someone in Bristol? Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe she didn't... Maybe she didn't... Uh, I mean, because... Sophie right now is not casual sex, Sophie. No, no, I think it might have just been, like, a snog. Yeah, that's what I think. Yeah. Um, next, we've got our one of our favorite sections now. We've got Peep Show Culinary. Oh, yum, yum. Of- it's nearly dinner time here, so I'm yeah. well in the oh, mood boy. for some Peep oh. Show Culinary. Yeah. yeah. This is, again, thank you to Donnie from the JLB Survivors Group. You are, you are awesome, and thank you so much for doing this for us. Um, he says, for sectioning, if you're cooking with us at home... Have one of Hans's organic scrumpies ready to go on the <laughs> beverage station. Just put it on top of the washing machine so it'll be out of the way for the time being. Um, so he says, in the kitchen, you're going to be crafting Mark's fancy roast beef, um, as well as his opening scene croissants that he mentioned. Bit of a weird mix. Whilst preparing your roast beef, make generous use of your favorite seasonings and butter up those croissants, because unfortunately, this meal is all downhill from here. <laughs> your side dish must simply be gray sludge no substitutions just mix two parts cornstarch with one part warm water add a few drops of black food coloring if oh. you live in a country where artificial food dyes are banned you'll be substituting with squid ink oh, that sounds vile um, oh god and he says after your main course instead of putting a popsicle in mary's purse 
have it for dessert because you've earned it. And what better way to end this meal than with a nice vodka and tonic and a little lay down. Avoid having guests over as you run the risk of being sectioned. <laughs> uh, sounds delicious. I was, I, was on, I was on board until the gray sludge and then I just... Yeah, wow. he's right. It was downhill wow. from there. Yeah. Um, so we've already kind of talked about hands to 1K, so I will take that off my list. Um, let's hear about the... You had a fun event. It seems like three weeks ago now, but... <laughs> At the weekend, yes. I went to a... Um, it was a Q&A with the season one director at the Dulcet uh, Cinema and it was they showed all of season one and there was like a and a in the middle and it was great. I got talking to some great people, um, people who are already listening and people that I know are going to be listening um, gave out lots of our business cards and just generally had a nice time with some fellow peep show fanatics. But it was really interesting. Um, the director was a, a really interesting guy and he talked a lot about the... Um, the problems of filming in POV and how challenging that was and how it hadn't nothing like that had been attempted before and how it made uh, filming for a sitcom that was going to be on Channel 4 really, really challenging. Um, and he was a really interesting guy. He does a lot of independent films and stuff now, so I'm definitely going to be looking him up. But it was a great night and I spoke to lots of really interesting people um, and I think we would have got some, well, I know because on Twitter, We've had some new followers um, who were there, but I think we're going to have a lot of new listeners on the back of it, so that's great. Oh, that's fantastic. Was there anything that he said that was really like, oh, holy shit, I have never heard that before? Um, I hadn't heard the... He said that it was in order to film that kind of POV way. You know, like, I don't know, because I've never worked in television, but I do know from hearing people talk about it that, that you film quite often out of order. But because of the way the POV set up, they had to film it in order, kind of like a play a lot of the time. So that meant it was quite a linear filming uh, and it wasn't chopped up very much. Um, and often things had to be done twice because obviously they're from two points of view. So they'd do the scene once with the camera on one person's head and then the other way around with the camera on the other person's head. And it sounded like an absolutely maddening way of filming and like it would really do your head in after not very long. But it was very interesting to hear him talking about it. Yeah, Mitchell and Webb both kind of talked about that in that season nine debut thing they did for the, for the Guardian. Guardian. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I knew I'd, I. They talked about the kind of the limitations of POV shooting. Yeah, I I like how David Mitchell is just like POV is a really stupid way to film things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does sound it does sound like hard work, harder work than normal filming. Did he have a favorite episode of series one? Someone asked that, um, and he said that he he liked them all. Um, although he was he'd always enjoyed the first episode, which were, this was something I hadn't heard before. Which that wasn't actually meant to be the first episode. They thought that I can't remember which one was going to be the first episode, but I think that was meant to be the third episode. And they just changed, they switched around how the order they were going to be in, and um, and that kind of makes sense when you think back to season one now and the opening like. It's a bit of a cold opener. Yeah. Yeah, huh. so yeah, so there you go. I think it was... I can't remember which one was meant to be the first one, but the one that became the first one was meant to be in the middle somewhere. That's interesting. Yeah, and he didn't. He couldn't remember why it happened. It was just something to do with it. They thought there were more like laugh-out-loud moments, I think. I think it was to kind of hook the audience on. They thought there was more funny bits in that one, and that's why they did it. There wasn't any particular other reason, and because the story in season one, the, the storyline's a bit more disparate, isn't it? It's not. There's not a real running storyline throughout, so I think they could afford to just do what they wanted. Yeah. Oh, that sounds that sounds really neat. Yeah, but it was a, it was a great way to spend Saturday night. 
Yeah. Uh, any listeners whose names you want to give a shout out to? Um, yeah, so I spoke to a couple called Stephen and Danielle who were really nice, um, and they were the ones that stood out most for me. They were just a really nice couple who were already listening and listened in their car, apparently. So if you're listening, hello, in your car. Um, yeah, they were. They, I spoke to lots of people, but they were the ones that stood out. Oh, that's that's awesome. I I just can't imagine what that was like when you were there and you you know handed somebody the card and you're like, oh, we do this podcast, and they're like, oh, we already listened to it. Yeah, it was like it was like being a celebrity for like ten minutes. It was great. I felt like I felt like Ansel Deck. It was it was great. I had a nice time. Yeah, that's that's incredible. It just it's it's incredible to me that people actually listen to this. Yeah, absolutely, and just really grateful for people listening and people being interested in what we've got to say about it. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I'm, I'm, we're not anybody special, you know, our well, views are you, not. I am. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Fuck, fuck me. You, Mark. <laughs> no, but we're not, we're not experts. I know what you're saying. So it's, it's, it's great that people are interested in what we've got to say about it. Yeah. Um, so we kind of mentioned this earlier, but, as I'm sure probably anybody who's listened to the show for any decent amount of time knows, um, we are working on our push to 5K listeners to get Matt King on the show. Um, like we said earlier, we are making our big push to hands to 1K because once we hit 1K, we're 20% of the way there, and we just got 80% left to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's every every journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step, so this will feel yep. like five steps. Yep. And uh, once again, we'd like to thank Matt King for everything that he's done for us. Yep. Um, you can pick up his awesome stuff at superhandsgear.com, and there's some great shirts and a tote bag, and the green shirt that I really want is still out of stock, but hopefully one day soon. Maybe I'll tweet Matt King and ask him to get that green shirt in stock. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure he's doing them all personally by hand, so he'll absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, anything, anything else that? Oh well, shit. We got a big one. Uh, we, we before we came on air, we did our drawing for the Pedge's houseboat contest. We did. And we have our three winners. We do. So congratulations to Tom Atkinson, who is at Thus Diddley. Um. You are the number one, so you get to pick which one of the fine prints from Pedge's houseboat you get. Yep. Uh, Neil Standwix, at NeilStand12, you are our number two winner, so you get to pick whatever's left over. And then our number three winner was Your Secret Diary, at YSD Band. You just get whatever's left over, but all the prints are fantastic, so it's, you know... Yeah, very well done to you, and thank you to everybody who took part. Um, I'm going to be putting my feelers out to see if I can uh, source some more prizes to run some more competitions, because that's really uh, been really popular. So it'd be great if we could do that. And if you have got any Peep Show merch that you would like to uh, chuck our way to give away in a competition, I know that Pedge's Houseboat um, have got some great publicity off the back of this as well. So win-win. Uh, get in touch we would love to do a competition with you yeah or even if you just want to you know advertise on here we are more than game to let you advertise absolutely um so yeah with that i think we will wrap up here we will see each we will see you guys all 
probably by the time you're done listening to this in like four days for shrooming, which is one of my favorite episodes again. Yeah, looking like forward I said. to that. Yeah, this three episode run, this an opening three episodes of series three, super powerful, and um, we're gonna pick up with shrooming. Yeah, can't wait. All right then. All right, this is the L Dude Brothers signing off. <laughs> Have a great day. Bye. I am in loco parentis. I am the last remaining contestant on The Apprentice. I am the home trained dentist. Ay, 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 ay,